Good morning. It is good to be together on this Easter Sunday. Woo-hoo! A bunch of us uh, met together on Friday night, and we celebrated what doesn't sound like a good day, but Good Friday. And we celebrated the fact that Jesus went to the cross for his people. And today, this morning, Resurrection Sunday, we get to celebrate the most important event in all of history when our God rose from the dead. Ooh, this is good stuff. And if you are visiting, or maybe this is the first time you've been here in a while, welcome. We're very glad that you're here. If you are a part of this church body, we're very glad that you're here. And so you know, we are a transparent community of people who want to know God better and want to make him known through his word. We want to grow into the likeness of Jesus by obeying his very words found in the Bible for the right reasons. Today, we're talking about something special, but let's be real. We're not really doing anything different than we do every single week. We're going to open the Bible, we're going to worship King Jesus, and we're going to talk about his resurrection, which pretty much happens every week. But here's the thing about the resurrection of Jesus, and we say this a lot, but I want to remind all of us this. The resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin to Christianity. It all hinges on if Jesus rose or did not rise. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is false. It's without merit, proof, or evidence. It all can be validated by the resurrection, but if the resurrection did not happen, our faith is placebo. In fact, even the Bible says that if Jesus didn't rise, our worldview, our belief system, and our relationship with God is all false. Here's what he says through the Apostle Paul, who was against Christianity and then ran into Jesus alive after he died and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he wrote to a church in Corinth, known as the Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, he says it this way, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Let that sit in for a second. Let that sink in. The fact that God in his word would actually tell you how to get out of it if it's not true. Paul, one of the apostles who saw Jesus alive after he died, he makes this declaration of the faith in Jesus that it is worthless if Jesus stayed in that tomb. We might as well sell this property and turn it into a chipotle because guacamole is good. Or we should sell this property and turn it into homes townhomes if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Might as well stop trying to make known that Jesus is the Christ if his body continued lifeless in that tomb, decaying because he did not resurrect. Those of us who have put all our eggs in the Easter basket, pun intended, of the resurrection might as well find a new hobby or career or passion if Jesus stayed dead. But it's worse than just a lifestyle change. It would have to take place if the resurrection did not take place. Paul continues in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15, and he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Your faith in a resurrected Jesus, a God who loves you, knows you, and forgives you, is placebo and pointless because without the resurrection of Jesus, all who have placed their trust and faith, who have repented, who have been baptized and turned from their old lives into a new life, it's not true. It's not real if Jesus is in fact dead. And we are still in our sins, still under the condemnation of knowing that our bad will always outweigh our good, and we, people, are without hope. Paul goes on to say that we ought to be pitied more than all people, 
Well, let me make a statement that if you've come here today, you're not gonna be surprised by this statement. Here's what I believe, that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. I agree when Paul makes the later statement in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. But here's the part where I know some of us misunderstand why we have the belief system that we have. I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead just because the Bible says he did. The Bible just does the best job of describing why. I have faith that Jesus rose from the dead because, check it, I need you to hear me on this, history is on the side of a Christian. The human response to the possible resurrection verifies that something astronomical happened in 33 AD after a lifeless body of the Lord Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb for three days, and on that third day, he was no longer in that tomb. I believe because history supports the claims of the disciples who followed Jesus for three years. And when he was put on a cross and when he died, what did they do? They fled. They ran. Because they thought that they were wrong. All that following of Jesus was worthless because if he is the anointed one, if he is the king, if he is God, he can't die. And, but within 40 days... Those disciples that had walked with Jesus for three years and then fled once he died, within 40 days, they had all created, made a 180. Not because they were hopeful that Jesus could still be who he was because of wishful thinking, but because with their own eyes, they had seen Jesus alive after he died, that he had resurrected, that they had eaten with him, talked with him. Their minds were open to all Jesus said prior to his death and resurrection. So today, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to jump into the evidence, if you will, of the resurrection. We do that a lot. In fact, I did it four weeks ago in a sermon called not, uh, Getting What You Don't Deserve. So you can go on the podcast or go on YouTube. And we taught on the, re the resurrection. We taught on the proof that there was an empty tomb, that there were eyewitness reports of seeing Jesus, and the responses of the persecution that took place because these people would not recant that they saw Jesus alive after he died, even when their lives were threatened. They would not recant, and they were not convinced because someone else convinced them, but because of what they had seen themselves. Today, we're going to read the Bible, because I believe God's word is so much more important than our words. So turn with me, as Ruth read, final chapter of Luke, chapter 24, and I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Luke was an account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a physician. He was also a historian who went to great lengths to interview and discuss what had happened as Jesus walked this earth for roughly 33 years of life. Luke documents and, and, and has corroborated explanations of what Jesus taught, what he did, what he said. And we're starting where Luke left off in chapter 23, where Jesus had gone to the cross for what many believed at the time was for blasphemy, because he claimed that he was God's only son, that he was the anointed one. And yet people did not believe him because the idea of God becoming man and walking amongst people was crazy to them. So Jesus was put to death by hanging on a cross. He was spit at, he was attacked, he was beaten, and earlier in chapter 23, we see Jesus hanging on a cross between two criminals, and what Luke says is that they were thieves. They were being put to death for their crimes, and hanging with them was Jesus, this teacher, preacher, rabbi. And he was hanging not because he hurt anyone, not because he stole anything, 
not because he attempted to gain anything for his own goodness, but he came to preach that the kingdom of God was now at hand and that Jesus wasn't just a prophet or a rabbi, but he was God's one and only son. And he dies on that cross. But what Christians believe, what we understand is that Jesus died not for his sin, but for mankind's sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There was this great exchange that took place. He got what we deserved and we get what he deserves, right standing before the Father. So Jesus has died on the cross and his body is taken down from the cross. It's wrapped in linen cloths and it's placed in a borrowed tomb. And that's where we start this morning. So look at the words of Luke as we read. Verse 1 of 24 of Luke. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Very early on the first day of the week. That's Sunday morning, y'all. That's like now. That's kind of why we celebrate it now. And the women came to anoint the body of Jesus, to show honor and reverence to Jesus' body. And these women came to bring spices, to give the body a conditioning, if you will, so it wouldn't smell. And guess what they found? Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Okay, the stone's not a pebble. The stone is this huge rock. It's this huge circle-ish rock that can be rolled away. And most historians think it weighed about 4,000 pounds. Think of a Mercedes without tires on and the parking brake on, all right? Trying to be pushed out of the way. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away. They came to be with the body of Jesus. And yet as they got closer to the tomb, they realized that the tomb had been disturbed that this 4,000-pound stone that was in front of the tomb was moved, that it had been rolled away. I have heard complete sermons preached on the stone. Hear me, the stone is not the point. Jesus is the point. But, but also, hear this. I'm going to give you one thing regarding the stone being rolled away. The stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. But the stone was rolled away so the women could come in and realize he was not there. Verse 3, but when they entered... They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. This would be pretty embarrassing. And there his body was. No, that's not what we believe. We understand that his body was not there. And these women who came there, it's pretty disturbing to come to a tomb where you saw a body be placed and now all of a sudden it's not there. And they came in reverence to anoint the body. And the Lord Jesus' body is missing. Do you think any of them just assumed in that moment that obviously Jesus rose from the dead? No. They assumed, like most of us would assume, that the body was stolen. I doubt anyone would go to someone else's tomb and not see the body there and go, well, obviously they're walking dead right now. No. Some of you might be, but I know that he, he rose. Yeah, you read ahead. They didn't have that luxury. And an empty tomb, and I need you to hear this, this is the only reason I'm spending any time on this, the empty tomb proves nothing other than no one would assume that the person who was in the tomb rose from the dead. That's not logical thinking. And Jesus, he had spoken in parable. He had spoken directly to these women and to his disciples that he would be handed over to the human authorities, that he would be falsely accused, that he'd be hung on a cross, that he'd resurrect on the third day. Guess what? It was the third day. But his disciples did not listen. Is that any of us? 
They did not understand. Verse 4, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? I love questions in the Bible because they always expose things. And in other gospel accounts, these men that Luke calls men, other gospel accounts call them angels. And I have no problem believing in angels if Jesus rose from the dead. Hear me. And angels are worshipful messengers. And they were doing exactly what an angel would do, which was to come and announce and pronounce and proclaim what had happened to the Lord Jesus. And then some of the most powerful and important words in all of Scripture, verse 6a, he is not here. He has risen. The words that give every person who identifies with Jesus as a Christian such hope in this life and such hope in the next. Hear me, I I don't know how more clear I can make this. Jesus rising from the dead is the game changer of all game changers. The invention of the internet has nothing on the resurrection. You hear me? Nothing is more important to the progression of society than Jesus Christ rising from the dead and those who call on the name of the Lord. Our mission is to raise awareness that Jesus is alive. That we too can stand by the grave, which no one actually knows where it is, and say he is not here, for he has risen. And those of us who have trusted Jesus, our hearts and soul and our entire person should burn with passion because, hear me, We do not worship a dead God. We do not have hope in some mythical invention. We have blessed assurance that our faith and lives being lived for Jesus is without a doubt the only person. He is the only place. He is the only thing we can hand our identity over to, and he can actually handle it. The weight isn't too much for this resurrected king. The weight is too much for creation, but it's not too much for him. Verse 6b, remember, the angel said, the man, the men said, how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. (laughs) These women not only remembered his words in that moment, they understood them because for the first time, because what he had said and what had happened were identical. They had their minds open to what Jesus meant when he said what he said because of what they experienced. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, (laughs) they told all these things to the 11, the apostles, and to all the others, and it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. The same women that Mark documents in his gospel that had watched the crucifixion of Jesus from a distance. And in this moment, these women were tasked with the most important message of all messages to tell the disciples who had ran away scared. Verse 11, but they did not believe the women (laughs) because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering himself what had happened. All right, Peter's an idiot. Can I just start there? 
I mean, if you came to me, but let's be real though. I mean, Peter didn't understand that. But if, if you came to me and you told me that someone I knew resurrected three days later, it would sound like nonsense to me, just like it would sound like nonsense to you. But I love Peter. I, I use idiot as an endearing term, okay? Because Peter is a ready, shoot, aim kind of guy, isn't he? So what does he do? He hears this from the women and he runs to the tomb. He runs to the tomb and sees it exactly as the women described it, and then he wonders what happened. (laughs) Even though the women had given him an explanation. I could go into how men don't listen to their wives, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it, because that's not what this is talking about. Listen, amen. Listen, (laughs) the resurrection of Jesus doesn't make sense to most of us. Okay, like, can I just put that out there? The resurrection doesn't make sense to most of us. And I get that. And for some, we not, might not believe it took place. For some of us, we don't want to put in the intellectual effort to figure out if it's true or not. And then for some of us, we want to ignore it. And for some of us, we just don't know what the significance is. I get it. I understand that for some of you, this idea of the resurrection of Jesus being the linchpin of Christianity, I understand that for some of you, it's never going to take, okay? Like, it's never actually going to click for you. You're, you're unfortunately going to, you've been, you've bought into the cultural Christianity that says, if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm good. You're bad, just like me. And it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has already done for us. And so, so when we hear about the resurrection, we hear that there is this significance and we say, if Christ is not risen from the dead, our faith is useless and so is your preaching. You might not understand what a huge deal this is. And I do understand that it won't take for some of us, but my job and those of us who have been redeemed by God's work and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, our job is to proclaim it to a world who might not ever understand it, but that doesn't change our responsibility to share it. We testify to the difference that the resurrected King Jesus has made in our lives. Now hear me. For those of you that maybe don't know me, before Jesus, I was an unredeemed young man who wanted to live life his way. I wanted to get ahead financially. I wanted to get ahead socially with the expectation that whoever had the most fun and endured the most pleasure wins. I didn't like the idea of religion because it felt controlling and also felt like if, if I can't see God, then God doesn't exist. And based on what I, the way I heard about God from Christians who probably attended church just like we do, God sounded like a cosmic killjoy rather than a loving, gracious, and forgiving father. So I went in pursuit of attempting to disprove the claims of Christianity. Because I thought, if I can disprove Christianity, then we can have fun. And I was dating a girl who was a Christian, so that was part of the reason that I was like, come on, let me disprove this, because... Anyway, and I spent time trying to discredit the example of Christians, and guess what? That was easy. Because, hear me, no offense to you, but offense to you, Christians, real ones and imposters, are hypocrites. If that's your argument against Christianity, you got us. Come join us on Sundays. We congregate as hypocrites. 
But I also came to the realization when I was fighting against the idea of Christianity is this crazy thing. The Christianity was not based on Christians. It was based on Jesus, hence the name. And so it wasn't about what I do. It's not built on me. It's not built on Christians. It's not built on preachers. It's built on Jesus and who he is and what he's done and the fact that he rose from the dead. So I spent months and months attempting to discredit the resurrection. I hung out in libraries. Do you guys remember what libraries are? I read atheistic books about the arguments to the resurrection. I read other religious texts that all felt like they had to do something with Jesus. It was weird. The Bible never talks about Joseph Smith. Just putting that out there. Well, they do, false prophets. I debated with Christians about their faith. I debated with Christians about their faith. I debated with people about the idea of Christianity. I thought it was ridiculous. And in that time, I'm here to tell you and to testify to you that God intervened. Hallelujah. God started to work on my logic. He started to unveil so much about history and how if I viewed it through the lens of the Word of God and the resurrected Jesus, how much clearer history really is. One day after looking at all the arguments against the resurrection, I realized how weak they were, and they're weak, and how just some of the evidence that really isn't disputed by most, I'll give you a few. Uh, there was an empty tomb. Eyewitness reports claimed that they saw him alive after he died. There were people that were willing to give up their lives when people threatened their lives for claiming Jesus rose from the dead. James, Jesus' brother, started to worship him as God. Would any of you worship your siblings? No. Paul, the apostle who was killing Christians, according to Roman history, switched teams and started to preach that Jesus was alive and became the biggest spokesperson for Christ in his timeline. And that evidence alone builds a much better case for a resurrected Jesus than the argument that maybe the disciples went to the wrong tomb <laughs> or stole the body and then were willing to die for the lie. And all of a sudden, my heart caught up with my mind. And I, and I realized if Jesus really did rise from the dead, I'm with him. If he can defeat death, I want what he's got. Anyone? But what was interesting was that I thought I could get a little bit of Jesus and I could give him some of my life and that would satisfy him. I've been following Jesus for about half of my life now. And what I've understood more today than days past is that it is a process. It is a daily process to submit your life to God's perfect and pleasing will. And hear me, some days are better than most. You know what I'm talking about? I thought that following Jesus could just be like a river that I dip my toe in, maybe on Sunday for an hour and a half, two hours, because dress nice today. And I started to realize that following Jesus is not a river that you dip your toe into. It is a river that you jump fully into and you allow the current of the river to take you wherever God pleases you to. I don't follow Jesus to be a better person. Let heretics teach that. Or to clean myself up. I follow Jesus because I am broken and lost without him. And as I deny myself and I trust him more and more by obeying his word, it's crazy. I grow to look more like Jesus and less like who I was. And that's a very good thing. Ask my wife. 
in the rest of this chapter, has Jesus walking along the road to Emmaus, and he runs into two disciples who Scripture says were kept from recognizing Jesus. Could do an entire sermon series just on that. And it's really interesting. It shows a bit about how God allows people to see him for who he is. And then he shows up where the rest of the disciples, those that had been walking with Jesus, eating with Jesus, and had all fled after he died on the cross, he shows up where the disciples are, and he, he surprises them in a room where the door shut because he doesn't come through the door, okay? You feel me? Verse 36, while they were still talking about this, about what had happened, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And some of you want to say, and also with you, Right? All right, all right, just putting that out there. I know, like, you want to, and also with you. 37. <laughs> they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. I would totally, boo, you know, like, that's exactly what I, sorry. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw, saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? I love questions in the Bible, because to be honest, I know why they're troubled, and so does Jesus. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I have. Jesus did not rise from the dead in a metaphorical sense. He did not rise in a spiritual sense. He didn't rise from the dead in the hearts of men. Jesus did not reincarnate. He resurrected physically from the dead, putting God's stamp of approval and power over death for you. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, those included in Christ, those that have been adopted into the kingdom and into his family, they too will rise one day. Not because we're smart enough, not because we're good enough, not because we're willing enough, or even because, hear me, we're doctrinally sound enough but because God in his incomparable riches of his mercy and grace decided to intervene into his creation and pull the undeserving and the unable to save themselves out of the muck and mire of their own sin. That great exchange, that rescue mission, that willingness Jesus had to come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, this is something that we all need to focus on today and focus on every single day. Verse 40 when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Like a college kid. <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. I love that scripture makes known that Jesus was hungry. He's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. Don't get that twisted while also showing that some could not process or believe that Jesus was physically there in the flesh. I get it. This is crazy. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He opened their I just want to put that out there. And the word of God is what Jesus is speaking of. The law of the prophets, or the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, this is the entire Old Testament. That's what he is communicating. And hear me, the Bible is one book, but it's made up of 66 different letters. 
27 books, let's see, uh, what is it? 39 books are in the Old Testament prior to Jesus being born to Mary, but Jesus has always existed. You can talk to me about that later. 39 are Old Testament, 27 are in the New Testament. They're written by roughly 40 authors on three different continents, Africa, Europe, and Asia, in three different languages, Hebrew, the Old Testament, Greek, the New Testament. There's some Aramaic inside of the New, I think. Ranging from the hit from these letters are history, their poetry, their law, their wisdom, their prophecy, and their narrative. And the entire Bible tells one story. One story, guys. That creation is broken. And there is nothing in this world that will satisfy or fix us. But the Redeemer one day will come from heaven and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves by living the life we cannot live, dying the death we deserve to die, and miraculously and physically rising from the dead, and that Jesus came to be the king of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus says that everything must be fulfilled in the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms, he's communicating that the entire Old Testament that many of these people had worshipped was about him. And not just about who he is, but what he came to accomplish by being the perfect sacrifice for our sin and rising from the dead as the validation and the consummation of all that we need to do, which is believe unto the Lord Jesus Christ. (sighs) Any of you guys have those bracelets back in the 80s and 70s? What would Jesus do? Come on. Come on, be honest. Yeah, yeah, all right, thank you. Hear me, the gospel is not what would Jesus do and now go do that. The gospel is what has Jesus done, now believe that and repent and identify yourself with him. Verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I get interviewed a lot by students and and even other people in ministry, and they always ask me, hey, what do you think one of the biggest problems in the church today is? And you're all like, oh, he's going to throw someone under the bus. No, I'm not. I think the biggest problem is that we, without meaning to, have stressed belief rather than repentance. I think we've stressed all you have to do is acknowledge rather than all you have to do is trust. Because when God gives you faith, what comes out of that is repentance. Faith isn't just acknowledgement. Faith isn't just I believe. The demons believe and they shudder, James says. So then Jesus makes known once again not only the gospel message but man's responsibility. So we have a decision to make, dear friends. Are we about our business or are we about our Father's business? Do we identify with this world and our hope is found in what we can attempt to do to satisfy ourselves for just a momentary time? Or do we have hope in a resurrected Christ who has invited us to repent, to turn from our sin? Here's what repentance means. It means you're going this way and you change direction. You're going this way and you change your mind. All of a sudden, it's not your will, but it's God's will. All of a sudden, the Bible that you thought was a history book or a textbook or a a bunch of silly letters, all of a sudden doesn't become your roadmap. It becomes the way you get closer with your God. 
because you read it and you don't just, oh, I spent time with it, but you put it into practice and you start to think biblically and you start to think about God the way that God speaks about himself. So do we want to be forgiven for the sin that we've committed in this life? I don't feel like I need to go through the whole, have you ever lied? That makes you a liar. You know what happens to liars, blah, blah, blah. I don't feel like I need to do that. Like, we all know we're messed up, right? Like, we do not do everything right, and our good will never outweigh our bad. That's why God came, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So do we want to pay for our sins ourselves? Or do we want to humble ourselves and allow Jesus, the humble King of Kings, to step into the gap and take upon himself the punishment that our sins deserve? We will receive his mercy to not get what we deserved, and we will take on his grace through his resurrection of receiving his gift of new life offered to us through Jesus if we repent. Otherwise, we're trying to do this in our own strength. We're trying to look Christian without actually being one. So let me ask you this. Do you, know if you, do you know if you've repented? Do you know if you've had faith that's led you towards repentance? Here's what I always ask. Here's what repentance looks like. Here's the question I would ask. Do you hate your sin and are you in love with your, the son? Do you hate your sin and are you in love with the son? Because here's the thing. Let's be real. Sin's fun, right? Come on, someone testify. Sin is fun, and yet, the more that I mature, the more I spend time with Jesus, the more I want to be with him rather than be separating myself from him daily because I won't do what he says. But here's the good news. We're all level at the foot of the cross. No matter how far we run from him, no matter how few times we obey, if we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, as soon as we turn around, he is right here to meet us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you hate the sin you once loved and love the righteousness you once hated? Because God gives that to you. This is what Jesus does to you when by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you repent and follow him. I said I wasn't going to give any evidence. I'm not really going to teach it the way I normally do, but it, just, just hear this. Jesus predicted his resurrection in Matthew 16 and Mark 9. The Old Testament spoke, before Jesus was born to Mary, spoke about what the Messiah would do in Psalm 16. The tomb was empty and grave clothes were left in the tomb. And if those who opposed Christ wished to silence his disciples, all they had to do was produce a body, but they never did. Many people saw the resurrected Christ. Many saw his face, touched him, heard his voice, and saw him eat. The lives of the disciples were revolutionized. They repented. Though they fled and even denied Christ at the time of his arrest, they later feared no one in their proclamation of the risen Christ. The resurrection was the central message of the early church. The church grew with an unwavering conviction that Christ had risen from the dead. And men and women today testify to what the resurrected Christ has done in their own lives. Some of you are like, I'm not convinced. Hear me. It's not that you can't believe. It's that you don't want to. And I would encourage you to look into the claims of Christ. I would encourage you to find someone that knows the Lord and start to spend time with them. My job here on a Sunday is not to entertain you, because if that's what I was doing, I'm, I'll lose my job soon. My job here is to equip you 
and as you leave this place to make much of Jesus in your own lives. And some of you are coming, and it's Easter, and you put on your Sunday best, and you look marvelous, all right? But God wants to change you. He wants to transform you. He draws people to himself, and as I said last week, none of us come to Christ with our heads held up high. We come on our knees in a stance of submission, knowing that we need the Lord to do the work that we cannot. I read a story about a Muslim who converted to Christianity. When someone questioned him why, he, the man responded with this. It's like this. If you come to a fork in the road of life, and at the fork there are two men standing at the beginning of each road, one man is dead, one man is alive, which would you ask directions from? Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that you put money in the offering, you will be saved. Oh, thank God it doesn't say that because I don't always put money in the offering. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you realize you need to be saved from something? Are you in the ocean drowning, trying to save yourself when God has thrown a life preserver in Jesus Christ and you're unwilling to take it? See, if Jesus rose from the dead, you are invited to have a personal relationship with him. That's the good news. That's the good news of the resurrection, that if he's alive, you can be made new, a new creation found in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God predetermined for you to do. But you must repent. You must have faith that what the Lord has done is enough. The cross gave us forgiveness for our sins, which was mercy. It was to not get what we deserve, but the resurrection gave us a new life and made us a new creation, which is grace, to get what we don't deserve. Let's pray.